0: Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right, well it's good to see you here today and I'm excited about our continued study in the book of Proverbs. I've gained so much from uh, from this study, so Today we're going to begin our topical study, and it went in a little bit different direction than I thought that it was going to, but it's still, we're still in the book, so that's a good, in the book of Proverbs, too. <clears throat> I mentioned uh, a fellow named Bruce Waltke, and he's written kind of the definitive uh, uh, commentary on Proverbs. It's too big, <coughs> Each, uh, he has two volumes, Proverbs chapter one through fifteen is six hundred pages, and, and the second volume is seven hundred pages. I think so. He uh, he's kind of considered the the uh, the grand poopah of. That's in not the right way to say it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but the second one. Said in mass, if nothing else. Yeah, that's right. Everybody that I read their quotes in just kind of says he's. This is the authority. This is where you go. And I didn't want to buy them, but my son-in-law, Cody, has them. So now I've been reading that. If if I look tired, I've been reading lots of Walkie, but But it's it's good. So he's got some really good insights for us uh, today. So uh, I put on there Lesson 8, Proverbs 10, 1 through through 31. 31, (laughs) Obviously, we're not going to cover all that today, but this is kind of where we're headed for the next uh, few weeks, and we'll see where all that goes, Uh, because our... Our semester ends at the end of May, so we've got about six weeks or so to, to work on this, and then we'll take a little break for a couple of months, and then we'll come back and probably still be in uh, Proverbs, but then also head toward Job and Ecclesiastes, so that'll be an interesting uh, addition to our study of wisdom literature in, uh, in the Old Testament. So let's pray, and we'll begin. Our Heavenly Father, we we lift our hearts to you with Praise and thanksgiving that we rest in your grace for us. We thank you uh, that, uh, that you have justified us as a gift of your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we rest in him today and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. And we pray now that uh, you would nourish our souls by it and, and teach us your ways. And I thank you for each person in the room today. I pray you would give them your strength and help and blessing. Uh, from your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just a couple of things to do before we actually get to the tongue. And uh, one, remember we've spent all this time in Proverbs 1 through 9, which we've understood is the introduction to the book. And as we saw last week, uh, in uh, chapter 9, uh, Solomon referred wisdom, which is Solomon writing this, refer to the to the house that wisdom builds has built and to the feast that wisdom offers and uh, walkie's uh, interpretation of that and others too is that the house is proverbs 1 through 9 that sets up sets up the framework and the worldview and different principles and concepts that help us to enjoy the feast and the feast is 10 through 31 all these uh, all these proverbs so, won't spend a lot of time on on this introduction here, but just a, a couple. Of, just we'll just read over them and look at the truths that we've been seeing, uh, and we want to see these things as we begin to to read and interpret uh, and and feast on the on the uh, the wisdom that's in these other proverbs. So we've seen that there's three kinds of people. There's the simple person, that's the the naive person, the younger person usually that and doesn't know what they don't know. Then there's the fool that's beginning to take the pathway toward, uh, toward foolishness, rejecting wisdom and reproof. And then also the wise man, um, the wise person, Solomon will be uh, addressing these three groups. And then we saw there's two worldviews in this house. Uh, and they're called pathways, they're called houses, they're called ways. And so we can expect that as we look at these proverbs that, that each one of them is going to be a, a, a fork in the road, so to speak, a choice that we have to make about which way we're going to go. And then uh, one thing that we saw is that uh, the first step toward wisdom is humility, uh, listening to what God says, being this, and I was surprised as we look back in chapter one, the, how important Uh, learning from reproof is, reproof from others, reproof from the life, you know, from life experiences. Um, Then, of course, listening to God's wisdom is both a passive reception and active pursuit. And interestingly, he spends a lot of time in chapters 1 through 9, pointing out the two primary obstacles to wisdom are easy money and easy sex, and thought a whole lot more about that since then, but that... That these are two ways that focus on ourselves rather than upward to God and outward to to other people. And they uh, that's the easy way to life without requiring relationships and repentance and, and, and hard work. But as we've seen, the, the most important principle or the most important truth that we've seen in applying these proverbs, interpreting them and applying them, is uh, the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is... Not the end of wisdom; it is the beginning of wisdom. It's where it's where wisdom <coughs> begins. So, um, so this is a relationship that that we cannot be truly wise without a relationship with the God that provides the other wisdom. And I think that's important as we as we look at these proverbs that. I've seen some books that have been written by purely secular people saying this is great wisdom. You can learn from this and learn how to get along with people and have business principles and things like that. But it's impossible to have true wisdom without realizing that every proverb has a, a vertical dimension to it. It's not just horizontal. Every proverb has, has a vertical dimension. These are not just uh, pithy sayings. I was... Um, my, my Bible reading came... Through uh, Leviticus, I'm in Leviticus 25, and there's several uh, uh, rules about like caring for each other, like the rule, the the year of jubilee, those kinds of things, and uh, and caring for the for the poor uh, Israelite brother. And at the end of each one of those guidelines, those commandments, that's the horizontal. Uh, the Lord said something like, uh, uh, "Let's see where I saw that." Yeah, like for example, you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear the Lord your God. So there we see it again. There's the or- the horizontal, but the fear of the Lord is the foundation of that of that horizontal. So these are the things that we'll uh, that we'll see as we begin to to uh, study these. these proverbs in chapters 10 through through 31 now here's something i hope will be of uh, interest to you and intriguing (coughs) to you Uh, have you heard this statement that says something like uh, well the proverbs aren't really uh, promises that you can always (coughs) count on they're more kind of principles that you just that you uh, apply and usually they come through, but not all, not Usually they're, they're true, but not always. You ever heard that? That's kind of the general evangelical wisdom of Proverbs. One of these guys that I, that I look at named Peter Crowley listed a bunch of people that say that, and, uh, or people that, that I like, like uh, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, people like that, and you know, have those kind of things. These are not promises, they're principles. Uh, <clears throat> One of the biggest uh, <clears throat> verses that we think about that is Proverbs twenty-two six. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, I know people that have trained up children really well, and it didn't work out that way. Or they didn't train them up at all, and they turned out to be good. So, the, so that's kind of one of those one of those that we <clears throat> use sometimes. Another one would be we looked at in Proverbs. Three, um, honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits and you know, your first fruits, and your barns will be full. Your your wine vats will overflow with with wine. But um, I think maybe we've all experienced, and and uh, and we know people that have been faithful in their giving and honoring God, but they live in poverty for some reason. So the point is. Um, uh, these things don't always fit together so one way of or these things don't always seem to play out like, like uh, we would think that they would um, and one way to resolve that is say well they're just principles you can't count on them all the time well um, Walkie makes this statement and others do too but I'd like for you to think about this for just a minute that traditional position that proverbs are just general probabilities can raise theological practical and psychological problems here's what he what he says um, for example we looked at, at um, proverbs three and, and saw that it was kind of a covenant um, arrangement where the, where we as people are to keep a provision of the covenant where God would respond with a keep, you know with keeping the, the covenant but <clears throat> walkie's point here is that if we say these are just general probabilities that don't always come come um, come true are we saying that God is not faithful to his promises that's a serious thing to say isn't it uh, I don't think that we want to say this so so we're supposed to keep our part but we can't always count on god to keep His part now the people that say proverbs are general or generalities and principles they don't they don't mean to say that but if that if that if that concept applies to the to the issue about raising children can we just pick out that proverb and say well this one is you know may or may not happen but this promise that wisdom gives us that that if we'll follow this pathway, that there'll be a certain blessing or whatever, um, and that it impinges on the faithfulness of God. That's a serious theological position uh, to take. And we know uh, 2 Timothy 2:13. Uh, if we remain, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He's always going to be faithful uh, to His word. The other thought that Walkey brings out about this traditional perspective is. Um, well, how can you know, if this is true, then how do you know for sure um, that you can trust God with all of your heart if things don't always work out like it looks like that they they should? Um, So I think that kind of sets us up to think there's got to be some other ways to think about the Book of Proverbs than to kind of take that easy out to say, well, they just not they they are not intended to be uh, to be promises. So look at uh, number two. Sometimes proverbs need to be contextualized to specific situations. Look at Proverbs twenty-six, four and five. Probably get to this uh, someday, but uh, <coughs> Proverbs 26 4 5. <clears throat> Here's two Proverbs that seem to say uh, the opposite, they seem to be contradictory. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself and then verse 5 answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes so which one of those is true? well the right say both. both both of them are the word of God so they're both true but they're true in specific contextual situations so sometimes depending on the situation and the fool that you're talking to now, you, you answer him according to his folly sometimes you don't so uh, so the point is that these proverbs speak to very not just these two but the proverbs can often speak to very specific situations and we need to work hard to understand what that specific situation is that that proverb applies to it, what is that passage uh, it's quoted so often that christian graduations jeremiah jeremiah says to the to the to the uh, to the nation in exile uh, god says i know the plans that i have for you plans for good and well that's a great promise for the exiles in Babylon, but it may not fit the high school graduate at Wiley Prep. Okay? So I, the point is, be, and I think in general it does, you know, in the in the covenant of grace we can expect God to have good plans. But uh, but the point is let's work hard to apply these proverbs to the specific context of which they have you know of which they've been written. Any thought about that? I'm, I've been talking about. Anybody have a? I've always wondered about that. About we pull, especially in the Old Testament, we'll pull a verse out and say, "Look, this is you know." But you know, like the
1: one you just said, that
0: you know that's a plaque on the wall in, in some homes. that You know, I know what, what my plan for you. <coughs> but it was for the exiles, right? So, right. Uh, not that God doesn't know his plans, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go the way that you hoping. Right. I think we can always look towards some kind of new covenant application of these kind of promises. Well The other one, you know this one though, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will heal their land. Um, That was written particularly to God's covenant people, Israel, not to the United States of America. Doesn't mean he won't bless any country that comes under the authority of God, but you've got to be careful about those things. Anyway, those aren't proverbs, but but every proverb that that makes a promise, uh, well, we'll see this in a minute, Every every proverb that makes a promise is the word of God, and we can count on that promise, but we have to contextualize it, apply it in the right way. Um, another point that Walkie makes some proverbs need to be qualified or explained by what he calls counter proverbs so look back at uh, proverbs 3 that is there may be another situation that can explain why that proverb didn't come true so in proverbs 3 Nine and ten, that's that passage that we've already looked at. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, with wine. But look at verses eleven and twelve. Verses eleven and twelve may show an exception to that, and to that promise. Uh, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father of the Son in whom he delights. So it may be the barns aren't full because God has brought discipline or chastisement on his people, not necessarily because, because they uh, have sinned, but because of just the, 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 uh, uh, the discipline of, of learning from our Heavenly Father. These other two are interesting, too, uh, Let's see. Well, let's look at them. 16.8. Proverbs 16.8. So here's another reason why a godly man, a wise man, or wise woman's bank account may not be full. Uh, Verse uh, Proverbs 16.8. Better is a little with righteousness and great revenues with injustice. So the point there is, it's it's more godly and wise to choose to be just than it is to to guard your financial nest egg. If if being just means that you lose some finances, that's the principle that we should follow. And then uh, look at uh, 22.1. 22.1, 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So, the, the truth here is, if you have to choose between a good name, and it's a name of honor and integrity, and wealth, then you choose a good name, and you lose. You may lose some wealth with that. So, maybe you kind of see the point The point here, that, uh, that sometimes Proverbs... That, that a specific proverb doesn't play out like it says it will because there's another principle that may be, and may be involved there. Any thought about that? I mean, just think about some of our brothers and sisters like in Haiti or somewhere that, you know, they're going through it. You know, I mean, another, another uh, situation here would be because of uh, suffering and the evil of these, you know, in this world sometimes God uses that in ways that may not look like he's fulfilled his, his promises. Now number four, all proverbs will be found true and fulfilled either immediately, though sometimes partially, in this age and, or yet, uh, fully in the age to come. So, the point here is that when we see these promises that God has made to his people in anywhere in the Bible, but in the in the uh, in the proverbs, particularly, uh, we know they will come true, but they might not come true in the chronological, <clears throat> physical life that we live. That you know the uh, the now and the not yet idea. Uh, the kingdom of God is now come, but it has not yet come. And so these proverbs can be the same way. Um, let me uh, read another. <coughs> Another thought from Walkie. speaking of why it appears that God is not just um, in the present time. One either has to give up the idea of justice or one has to push this execution into some realm beyond the evidence of human experience. So you either got to say God's not going to be just or you got to realize that God's justice will be expressed and completed in some other time besides our present experience. Obviously that future time is not accessible to be verified, but without that kind of faith, one cannot please God. If these promises could be validated by experience, why does the father command his son to trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? So there is a place for um, for faith in God, when things don't work out like you think, like we think that they uh, that they should, um, and then I added this phrase here, and I think I might have might have convoluted two two concepts. The full blessings of the covenant are secured by the covenant-keeping obedience of Christ for His people. And here's, I think, an important point: that if we don't keep these, if we don't keep our side of the proverbs perfectly then we cannot demand that God would fulfill them perfectly but we know they will be filled um, (coughs) uh, in the next age, because um, because Christ fulfills all these covenant obligations for us so we can't expect that they will all be fulfilled now but they will be fulfilled in the age to come uh, because our Lord has fulfilled them uh, for us and then uh, finally, well, number five, <coughs> interpretation and application of some proverbs that is riddles like was like we looked at in Proverbs one six requires patience, humility, and diligent study. Um, I just uh, it, this was interesting to me because I, I listened to uh, John Piper, his uh, Ask Pastor John. Anybody listen to Ask Pastor John? I like Ask Pastor John. It's a little oh six to twelve minute thing. Somebody ask him a question and he answers it. And um, so um, I think it was Friday or Wednesday I don't remember which day it was somebody wrote in with a question that looked like a contradiction. He was saying how can Jesus say uh, in the Gospels that he will be hated by all men for my sake but then the Apostle Paul says the qualification of an elder is that they must be well thought of by outsiders. And the question was, isn't that a, isn't that a contradiction? And uh, so I thought, because I, I just read what Piper said, proverbs are generalities. You know, so I'm wondering how he's going to answer this. Um, but he had a very interesting answer that really was helpful to me, and I hope that it, that it will be to you. He had different ways of of uh, interpreting. He showed how to interpret each passage that they had different perspectives. But at the end, he made this point. He said, people, uh, the only people that have trouble with contradictions in the Bible, the only Bible students that have, that struggle with contradictions in the Bible are those that hold a high view of Scripture, of inerrancy and in uh, uh, divine inspiration. But the liberal crowd that that says, well, the Bible's just a bunch of uh, human compositions, uh, they don't have to struggle with the contradictions. They just say, oh, that's just some human inconsistency that's in this book they don't have to struggle with it but but we struggle seriously with those things because because we say that looks like a contradiction but I know in God's mind there's no contradictions in the scripture and his point was that if we'll do the hard work of study and thinking and humility that there are treasures in studying and understanding apparent contradictions um, that we wouldn't see if we just said, "Oh, you know, who cares? That doesn't really matter." I do remember one time he uh, somebody wrote to him about a contradiction that he had not resolved, it. and he said, "I don't know how to resolve this, but I found in you know in my 70 years or 60 years of, of being a, a child of God that God has always been faithful to me, and His Word has always been faithful. So I'm going to count on that." in this one and i'll find out someday if i need to you know about this apparent <coughs> contradiction or, or difficulty with the scripture so i think that that uh, that really comes to the point of wisdom that a wise person humbles himself under the authority of god's word and it's that what that uh, proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, and all your ways acknowledge Him, He'll make your path straight. Lean not on your own understanding. Is that how I got Yeah, lean not. That's the, that's the wise person. We humble ourselves under God's Word and say, Lord, I don't understand that, but I'm going to, to lean on it. And uh, not lean on my own understanding, but on, on your Word. So, as we study these different things about, well, words today, there may be some things we can't we don't know what to do with, because they don't seem to flow with our experience or with what we understand. But uh, that would be okay. Well, then finally, I just thought quoting Second uh, Timothy three sixteen would be um, helpful here. That this is uh, this is a promise of all Scripture in the Book of Proverbs is Scripture. So we can count on it that it is breathed out by God. It's inspired uh, by God, and so we know it's going to be profitable. For treat for teaching for reproof and for correction of righteousness <clears throat> and uh, what's the rest of that that the man of God may be uh, thoroughly equipped for what for yeah right or for every good work or something like that yeah so so that makes me excited about uh, about studying the book of book of Proverbs okay so any other thought or I haven't left you you have much thought about this. Thoughts about this this, uh, general perspective that the Proverbs aren't promises, they're just probabilities. Do you see the danger in that position? (coughs) So I wanted to ask Dr. Piper, uh, so which way do you think about this then, Dr. Dr. Piper, anyway? (coughs) Cheyenne, you getting ready to add something? So how do you come back to the... (coughs) You praise the child in the way they should go, and what's your new explanation that? Yeah, well, my new explanation is that uh, there are other talking to our Hebrew scholars. There's other ways to interpret that uh, that passage. In fact, uh, I've seen a couple of books uh, that include a uh, exegesis of that passage, and and their exegesis is that this is not a promise this is a warning to parents Uh, so how does it go train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it that that this and that that the the new interpretation that i'm seeing is uh, if you allow a child to go the way he wants to go you know no restraints no correction no boundaries (coughs) Then he will, and he will never depart from that, from that, uh, you know, from that pathway. He will become a fool, and so, so that this is not a promise. It's a, uh, it's a warning to parents to provide the other principles of parenting you know, in the book of Proverbs. So I think sometimes I to your question or to your comment. Sometimes we just need to dig deeper and try to better understand what the proverb is actually saying okay you. I had a question uh, how do you reconcile the um, the perspicuity of scripture with our like you said our inability to to rationalize the like, contradictions yeah perspicuity uh, clarity is that yeah. is that the best way to to uh, well, I think we have talked about the noetic effects of the fall. That it's we got, we're brain damaged now because of that. So um, I think that uh, for me, the clarity of Scripture is God's gift to us that all things that are absolutely essential to us to know, to know Him and to, to walk in faithfulness, is clear for us. You know, if we come to the Scripture with, with, uh, uh, with humility and you know, submission to its authority, but I think um, like what I'm doing today is telling you what I've learned from other other men, other teachers, that in the context of the body of Christ, that there's resources that God can give to us. He gives the gifts to the church of teachers that can help us to understand those things. So well, and I think that, you know, this is a body project here, you know, understanding the scriptures, and that's why we Sit for 45 minutes or an hour under Pastor Justin because God has gifted him and given him to this body to help us understand these things. Okay, hey, good, that's good. Other thoughts or questions? Um, I'm just being naive, but I, I just stand on that verse uh, all scripture is God breathed. That's where it starts for me. Mm. And uh, He's the Creator, I'm just the Creator, and I trust Him. I can't explain it all, but uh, I just trust him. And it all starts there. It's God brave And for, it's enough for a purpose. Yes, sir. That's pretty simple, isn't it, Ralph? I think we need to be simple. Oh, a lot right. of it has to do with limitations of our perspective. Yeah. Yeah. We see what is only right in front of us <clears throat> what we can see. Some things uh, are go beyond our generation. Go beyond our century. Go beyond our lives, and we won't see them. And that's what Hebrews 11. You, know. <clears throat> you know, these people live their lives, and they, they they didn't see it, what God had promised. And yet, God is still faithful, even even though it, even by the time of Hebrews 11, happened. But, you know. Uh, I think that's a big part of where our problem is with Scripture is we look at it just from this perspective of I, me, and, and uh, my life and we don't see that it's, it's bigger than us. Yeah, good. So Mark says part of our problem is that we... Oh, hi folks. <laughs> There's the baby with the hair there. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's, persp- Mark's thought is sometimes our limitation is because we're so focused on our own situation, our own vision, our own perspective. And well, that, that is really good. And you know how we need to see what our brothers and sisters are seeing around the world. And the other point is reading, uh, not just contemporary thoughts and ideas, but, but like, uh, I guess it was Piper again. No, I think C.S. Lewis, we'll do C.S. Lewis this time, he said, before you read a book that's contemporary, uh, read another book that's 100 years old, because they'll help us to see things we don't even know we're not seeing. So that's a good good point. Could somebody else have a question or comment? These are good. Okay, all right, well. <clears throat> Let's look uh, now at uh, our speech. I was all ready to dig into this uh, Monday morning, I think. And I said, this is going to be simple. I'll just look up all the verses that deal with the tongue and with speech and and, uh, with words. And I'll pull out eight or ten of them, and that's what we'll do on Sunday morning. Well, there's well over a hundred verses in Proverbs that deal with the tongue. I think there's, you can just, it's just amazing how many that there are. So that was my first problem. I'm not gonna be able to get my brain around all those. So I'm gonna miss some stuff, and that's gonna be uh, scary. Uh, but I thought, well, I'm gonna start. And just like my professor used to say, just put your seat in the chair and get started. And so that's what I did. And so I started with Proverbs 18:21. So if you want to turn there, I'll show you where I started. It seemed like a pretty good verse to begin with, Proverbs 18:21, 21. And uh, <clears> this <throat> speaks of the great power of the, of the tongue. And I didn't know any better place that to kind of get our attention of how vitally important it is to understand the tongue than this verse right here. So, 18, uh, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits and all I was going to do was just do the first uh, you know, Proverbs 21a. And I thought, I looked over on my desk and there was Dr. Walkie's two-volume two thing and, and I knew that he had, I looked through it and uh, and he has exegeted every proverb from a half a page to two pages for, for one verse. So I thought, well, that's a good place to start. I'll see what Dr. Walkie says about this passage and I can get a good start on that. Well, I, uh, I opened the, uh, his volume, this would be volume 2, and uh, looked at the exegesis of verse 21, and he said something like, well, now we, we need to realize that this that this proverb is continuing a longer section on comparing the speech of fools with the speech of of wise people. <clears throat> and, uh, and so that immediately challenged this perspective. Well, these are just a bunch of proverbs, and they have no... uh, they're not coherent together they're just everywhere Uh, but what I've so reading more of uh, Dr. Walkie, I began to realize that that may not be the case that I don't know I haven't read all of his stuff I'm not going to read all of his twelve, fourteen hundred pages but but, uh, so I thought okay I'll just kind of see what he says about that the first thing he said was uh, that I saw was verses 20 and 21 are a a proverbial uh, couplet. And here's how you saw that. Look in Proverbs 18, verse 20, and you see the word fruit in the first part of that verse. See that? And then look at the end of verse 21. See the word fruits again. So his point is, and maybe you've heard this theological term, this is an inclusio. The thought begins with fruits and it ends with fruits, so you know that everything in between uh, is connected. So that was the first thing I saw. Okay, here is uh, here's two verses I thought may have been disconnected because that's what I was to understand about all the proverbs—they just go everywhere; they're not connected. But here's a Bible scholar saying, "No, here's at least two verses that." are connected because they both have the word uh, fruit in them. And so then he said this passage actually begins back in chapter 17. So remember what we've seen in in, uh, Proverbs 18, uh, 20 and 21, speaking of a man's mouth, speaking of his lips, speaking of his tongue. Then look back at chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips he is deemed intelligent so here's his point Solomon begins a lesson and by, by the way you know the chapter divisions are not inspired somebody very helpfully put the chapter divisions later but they're not uh, that does not mean that the writer stopped his thought where the chapter of the vision was so Walkie goes back to proverbs 1727 and says here's where here is where uh, solomon begins a lesson that compares the speech of a fool with the speech of a wise person and it and that lesson goes all the way from 1727 to 18 uh, 21 so that's our lesson for well, not for only today, next week too. By the way, I, I looked at that next verse where I had it underlined verse <clears throat> verse twenty-two. Uh eighteen twenty two. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord, I thought. Well how does that pick the context of speech? Well it doesn't. Walkie said the, the lesson ends at twenty uh, twenty one and he picks up with the with the uh, with the wife uh, as another as another lesson okay so did I do you see where that where I've got a new perspective now that we're just not going to grab a hundred different verses a hundred different proverbs that talk about speech here and there and everywhere Uh, at least for today and probably next week we're going to look at a coherent uh, package a coherent lesson that compares the speech of a fool and the speech of a wise person. Now, every verse doesn't, every single verse, so that'd be what, 21, 20, 23 verses. There's two or three that I don't see how they fit and Dr. Walkie didn't even you know, try to make them fit. But I think the problem with that is like, uh, you know, we just don't get it. Maybe there's some Hebrew poetry we don't understand that's saying something different than what we over- understand or it's the context or something like that. Okay, so let's, let's begin. The speech of Fools, Proverbs 17, 27 through um, 18, 9. So what I've done is give you the, uh, so this, the first little section, we're going to look at Proverbs 17, 27, 28. And I just tried to kind of give you a couple of thoughts about that to, to uh, give you a summary of what it seemed like it's saying. The wise demonstrates understanding by restraining his words. The fool can hide his foolish heart by keeping his mouth shut. So, let's uh, let's read Proverbs 17, 27 and and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Do you remember that quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln? I bet you do. He said, uh, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you're a fool rather than open it and remove all doubt. (laughs) I think he's probably reading this uh, proverb. There's something striking to me about this lesson that begins on words. The the lesson of these, uh, the truth of these two verses. What what is, is something striking to you about? Okay, we're going to talk about how to use your words well, but what does he begin to say about words? Not using them. That's right, you're not using them. The fewer, the better. You know, it seems like that's what he's uh, what he's saying. Well, I mean, notice here, uh, uh, second part of verse twenty-seven. He who has a cool spirit, and the point being, uh, this is the heart, the spirit, and we've we've talked about already that um, one of the key issues of wisdom is the heart. So he's talking, you know, he's connected uh, connected there. Um, when you when you see that uh, that a wise person. Uh, restrains his lips, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Why, in this, in this context, why does he need a cool spirit? What's going on in his, in how he would use his words? We to be emotional and just react. Okay, in what context? Uh, upset or, or agitated. Or Usually right those so types, we're not using it as well I think that's right so he's, this is a time of conflict apparently uh, where uh, when I read that I I was uh, deeply saddened to see how autobi- autobiographical it is uh, uh, for me Now one of the things that he's going to do in this passage is talk about not only what happens in the heart of the, of the person and, and for the first half of our lesson, the heart of the person that's a fool, but also what his words do to the people around him. Uh, Walkie will use the term community. How do, how do the words of a fool impact uh, community? And I was thinking about that. Well, I got a neighborhood. We live in a neighborhood with 35 houses. So that's my community. My church is my community that I could apply this to but there is a, another very small community I'm a part of that I need to apply these truths to what is that yeah your family or in my case uh, Dixie <laughs> and I don't know I guess just because of my own uh, failure or God just removing some restraint from me I was a disaster this week in these two verses <laughs> Uh, you can ask her about it but uh, boy, I mean, if I would have just listened to verse 28 and kept my mouth shut I wouldn't have caused some pain in, in uh, Dixie's life uh, anyway uh, maybe this kind of sets us up to uh, you husbands and wives y'all can talk about that and think about that but the home the, the home is the place where our words have the most impact for good or for evil and for harm, and for um, for harming those that are around us, we can talk more about whether that. that would be the case. I'd encourage you to read these read these verses, and maybe take my notes and begin to think through that. And we'll jump into it uh, next week. Thank you.